You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Today we get back to our conversation around Luke's gospel. Before Easter, uh, I offered a part one of what is to be a two-part conversation that I want to finish today centered on Luke 7. So if you have your Bibles, that's where we'll be. And then I reminded us when we read Luke 7 on the heels of Luke chapter 6, we see what the Sermon on the Mount looks like in Jesus' mind. I think that's an important thing. And so here in Luke 7, what we find are three different stories highlighting five very different lives, yet they connect together by one dominant theme. And we talked about this in that first part. And that dominant theme that connects them is God's grace reaching into each life through Jesus. And we talked about how when we see Jesus reaching the powerful Roman centurion in one story and then immediately reaching into the powerless Jewish widow, we see the kingdom of God breaking in. We see God's reach from one side of the social margin to the other, from the powerful and privileged to the powerless and poor, to the Roman ethnic majority to the Jewish ethnic minority. And we see God's grace reaching in. And then when we see in Luke 7, Jesus speaking of John the Baptist in the the very next story, and then in the very next story after that, speaking to Simon the Pharisee about a prostitute, we see the kingdom of God breaking in. We see God's grace reach from one side of the religious and spiritual margin to the other side, from the righteous religious Pharisee to the rejected prostitute, from the saint to the sinner, from the one with hope to the one without. And we talked about and thought about how if the grace of God can touch a Roman centurion, a Jewish widow, a righteous saint, and a rejected sinner, then His grace can touch your life and mine. And this is really good news for us who hear it. Because the good news of the gospel is that God's grace reaches beyond all boundaries because God's love is boundaryless. No one is ever outside the reach of God's grace. Never. And we see God's grace for what it is. We see God doing for us, on our behalf, what we're incapable of doing for ourselves. That is, a, I think, a, a good definition of, of grace. We see it in the centurion's humility and his need for the healing power that comes only through Jesus by God's grace. We see it in the widow's grief and her need for a resurrecting hope that comes only through Jesus by God's grace. We see it in John the Baptist's doubt and his need for assurance and peace that comes only from Jesus and God's grace. And we see it in the story we'll think about today. And so in Luke 7, beginning verse 36, I've got to confess to you, this is probably my favorite story in all of Scripture. My life verse The verse that I believe frames my story is found in this narrative. It's found in this text. And consequently, it was the first sermon I ever, the first text I ever preached in this church on the night of my um, grilling and drilling by the congregation. So this now, this story has different meaning to me now. Um, so here it is, Luke 7. Let's see, let's see what Luke wants us to see. 
Then one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, pause. Um, Jesus didn't sit at the table like we sit at tables. Reclined at the table means he, he laid on his side with his feet out and, and shared in the table as the guest. So it's important you see this. So let me, let me go back, verse 36 again, so that we catch the, the story. Then one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet in her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus replied to Simon, and he said, Simon, I have something to say to you. All right, teacher, he said. Go ahead. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 pieces of silver and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You, you've judged rightly, Jesus told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil or perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, or in the Greek, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace, or in Jesus' language, go in shalom, the wholeness of God. Now, like many of Luke's stories, this one takes place around the table in a dinner party. And this is the most basic cultural expression of hospitality. I've come to believe that one of Luke's primary concerns throughout his gospel is the issue of hospitality. In the ancient Near Eastern tradition, in Jesus' day, hospitality served as a moral pillar to society where the host tended to the social, emotional, and physical needs of the guest. Hospitality in the Greek language is made up of two words, philo and which put together literally means the love of strangers. And so hospitality was less a personal practice as it was a pillar to society and more of a communal way of life. It was less about tea parties and bland conversations with known acquaintances at convenient times and more about making room in one's life for others with the welcome of radical embrace whether convenient or not. And in the scene, we have a story centered on three different people with three very different postures, all having to do with hospitality. Jesus has been invited to a dinner party hosted by a Pharisee named Simon. 
I do not believe that we should look at Simon's invitation to Jesus as either suspicious or surprising. I don't believe it's suspicious as I don't believe Simon is trying to set Jesus up for a trap like many of the Pharisees have and and will do. I'm not surprised that Simon would invite Jesus because he is a highly esteemed religious leader, at least respected whether one agrees with his interpretation of Scripture or not. And I've got to believe that this invitation was rather awkward for Jesus. Jesus made it a habit of spending time around tables with the outcast and the socially marginalized. Not so much making it a habit of spending time around the table with those who live in the social center, the religious center of society. He doesn't often share tables with the in crowd but often shares it with the out crowd. But Jesus graciously accepts the invitation and attends the party. Now, (laughs) this part of the story alone convicts me because sometimes I would rather not accept the invitation from someone that I would rather not normally spend time with or don't enjoy than to go. I just would rather not receive the invitation and be busy or be washing what little bit of hair I have left. (laughs) And sometimes I feel more at home and that I have more in common with folks other people think I shouldn't be hanging around than I often feel with people that other people think I should be hanging around. I'm okay with that. That's probably another conversation that Luke will lead us into later in his gospel. But we see it in this story. And with no warning at all, suddenly Luke tells us in verse 37 that a woman enters into the story. He doesn't offer a name. Instead, he haphazardly and unapologetically calls the woman a sinner. And I think Luke wants us to know that this is her public reputation. She is known by this label. And centuries of scholars have concluded that what this woman is as a sinner is a prostitute. A prostitute crashes the party. And there's no need to think that she broke in and kicked the door down. Houses weren't built that way in this culture, and parties weren't thrown that way in this culture. It would, this party would have created more of an open environment where guests would have mingled in and out. But there's also no need to think that this woman casually or lightheartedly walked into the party. We cannot pass over the audacity of this woman and her reputation as a public sinner. The smell of her perfume. The way she wears her makeup. The clothes that adorn her body. She would be hard to miss among these dinner guests. And no doubt she would have received stares of hostility. And unless she had been solicited by a Pharisee before, this is probably the first time she's ever entered into the house of anyone of this social stature. 
And so when Luke introduces her into the story, he does so suddenly, as if to offer a hint of desperation. In verse 37, Luke tells us that she found out that Jesus was at Simon's house. It's as if Luke wants us to know that she's been looking for Jesus. That she wanted to find Jesus, and the moment she knew his whereabouts, she was going to gather her things at that moment and go to Jesus. So with no warning, with no casual hello, she comes into the party, walks behind Jesus as he reclines on the side at the table, and falls to his feet, weeping. And that is when the crisis of the story begins. See, in this culture, there are three customary practices of hospitality. One is the washing of your guests' feet. Another is greeting with a kiss of welcome. And the third most basic practice of hospitality is the anointing of the guests with olive oil. Now, that may seem very peculiar to us for obvious reasons, because when people come into our house, we just say, glad you're here, can I take your coat? And sometimes we don't do that, so they throw it somewhere. But when a guest enters your house, your guest has walked all day in sandals along dirt roads. And the most basic practice of hospitality is to offer your guests water and a towel to wash and wipe their feet. This makes your guests more comfortable and makes the visit more pleasant. But not just that, it's customary as a practice of hospitality, to greet your guests with a kiss, either on the cheek or a peck on the lips or a kiss on the hands, to say, welcome into my house. And then, as a show of honor and gratefulness for their presence, you would anoint them with olive oil. And this was just a way of saying, I'm really glad you're here. Welcome into my life for a moment. And for some reason, Simon fails to do any of this. There was no water for Jesus' feet, no kiss to welcome him, and no anointing with oil to honor his presence. And the sinful woman, while she kneels bent over weeping at Jesus' feet, seems to notice his feet have not been washed. So she does so with her tears and dries his feet with her hair and then something more beautiful happens this woman takes what would be her most expensive possession something essential to her profession her perfume breaks it open and pours it over Jesus' feet as she kisses him she kisses his feet See what's happening in the story for a moment. A prostitute pours perfume over God's feet, washes his feet with her tears, and dries his feet with her hair. This is what we see. This is not what Simon sees. In Luke's story in verse 39, he tells us that Simon is outraged. At the very least, Simon is uncomfortable with what's taking place. And I bet the disciples, Jesus' disciples are a bit uncomfortable too. 
they probably feel the awkwardness of this inappropriate gesture by this inappropriate woman at this most inappropriate time. And if I'm honest, I'm probably a tad bit uncomfortable too. And Simon thinks to himself that if Jesus were a prophet, if he were as godly as he appears to be, then he would know what kind of woman this is. He would know that her way of life is utterly unacceptable. She's a prostitute. Unacceptable. And at this moment, at this place, as an uninvited guest, this gesture is inappropriate. And if Jesus were as godly as I think he is, if he believes Scripture the way I think he should, because the Scriptures made it plain that prostitution isn't it, then he should reject her gesture of hospitality and humility. Everything she's doing right now is inappropriate. And Jesus should see that. But Jesus, actually being more than a prophet, knows not only her heart, but Simon's heart, and brings it to surface in Jesus-like fashion. He tells a story. Now, you may not hear this text the same way I do. And that's okay. But I hear Jesus talking to Simon here in more of a conversational and respectful tone rather than a condemning one. If I, if I picture this story correctly, Jesus is with his disciples at Simon's table while this sinful woman weeps at his feet. And there Jesus sits, most likely near Simon. So he has this private moment with Simon based upon the proximity at the table in verse 40 and, and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And I think Simon's response indicates that this is just a conversational tone because Simon doesn't go, oh, okay. Simon says, all right, teacher, go ahead. Jesus tells the story. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 pieces of silver and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. Jesus said, you've judged correctly. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. She gave me no water for my feet, but she is with her tears, washing my feet and wiping them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she, hasn't an, she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loves much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. She offers water for Jesus' feet with her tears. She offers a kiss of welcome with many kisses to his feet. And the sinful woman offers an anointing of honor with her perfume. See, the irony in this story is that even though Jesus is a guest in Simon's home, it is a sinner who extends hospitality to Jesus. And so here we are. A prostitute, two religious leaders, and a dinner party. Sounds a bit sketchy. One religious leader has an understanding of righteousness and what it's required to be welcomed into God's presence that causes him to distance himself 
from this woman and reject her. You get that? That's Simon. That's his understanding of righteousness. And then one leader, Jesus, has an understanding of righteousness and what is required to be welcomed into the presence of God that compels him to move closer to this woman and receive her hospitality on her terms. You see that? Like Jesus welcomes her, receives her on her terms. Jesus doesn't whisper down, you know, loving her, wanting to accept her and say, hey, hey honey, I appreciate what you're doing and I'm, I'm down with this and love you, but let's stand up and let's not make a scene. Jesus doesn't do that. He, he accepts it on her own terms. You see that? Not on Simon, the man who knows the Bible's terms. You see that? Yeah, I'm not sure what Simon's problem is. But I think he has the same problem I often do. He cannot see. I don't mean literally see, as if you were blind. I mean, he cannot see in the way I think Jesus is asking Simon to see. In verse 44, Luke makes sure we hear the question. Jesus turns to the woman and looks at Simon and says, Do you see this woman? It's as if Jesus is asking this publicly respected religious leader if his sight was formed by God's redemptive grace. That if the lens through which he sees the world and sees this woman is one of grace and mercy. But Simon's way of seeing others isn't formed by God's redemptive grace. For Simon, some people are just outside the reach of God's grace. And this speaks more of how Simon sees himself and sees God rather than how he sees others. Simon wasn't able to see himself as one welcomed into God's presence by God's mercy and grace despite his own failures and sinfulness. That's why I don't think he could see. He couldn't see that, and so he couldn't see her, and ultimately, he failed to see Jesus, and Jesus was at his table. And sometimes I think Jesus is asking us the same question he asked Simon. Do you see? Do you see this woman? Simon, do you get her? Like, do you get her? Do you see her human dignity, Simon? Do you see beyond her circumstances and choices and see her as something more than the sum total of her sin? Simon, do you see her? I think Jesus asks us, do you see? Do you see the young woman taking your lunch order? Do you see your coworker who quietly keeps to himself? Do you see your elderly neighbor living alone? Do you see that man sitting on the bench outside a food line looking as though he hasn't showered in days? Do you see that member of your church family you struggle to love because they annoy the daylights out of you? Do you see your wife? Do you... Do you see your husband, Fred? Do you see your child? Sometimes I wonder if we do not see others any differently now than we did before we first saw Jesus. Sometimes I wonder if we still see others as a sum total of their circumstances and choices, bound by their past or their present or what we predict of their future. Sometimes 
I wonder if I can see. If all I see is the color of their skin, or if I can see their dignity as an image bearer of God. See, something happens to me when I see stories like this in Scripture. I'm reminded that God's intentions with Scripture isn't merely to inform us about who He is, but form us by who He is and what He's up to in the world through Jesus Christ. we got to get away from the notions that the Bible is a guidebook to live in or a love letter from God and all of these what ends up being really shallow expressions of Scripture and start seeing Scripture as the story of God's intentions with the world that proposes a different world to us. The Scriptures invite us to live in light of that world, that world that we see right here, a world where marginalized and rejected sinful people crash parties hosted by well-respected people and act in ways others might deem as inappropriate. What would happen if we saw the world like that? We'd party more, maybe. That'd be a good thing. And the Scriptures invite us into a way of reading and understanding who we are as human beings in light of God's work in our world. They present to us a counter-imagination. A way of seeing the world that leads to a different way of thinking about the world that leads to a different way of being in the world because now we see what all of life can look like when Jesus is Lord of it. Man, that changes things. So yeah, I think Jesus is asking us all the time. I think Jesus is always asking you and always asking me. Do you see? And sometimes I think what Jesus is asking is, do you see me? Do you see Jesus? Do you see that He knows you best and despite your sinfulness and what you're trying to hide or deny, that He still loves you most? Do you see Jesus? Do you see how Jesus sees you? Do I, like this woman, see myself as one whose many sins have been forgiven by God? A God who graciously welcomes me into His life through King Jesus? Do I see that I have been forgiven much? And that compels me to love Him much and trust Him much as witnessed by my obedience to Him? Or do I see my sins as little? I've been a good guy. I haven't done what Brad has done. I haven't lived like Susie's lived. That's right. Alvin knows it. (laughs) And then think that somehow my sins are just kind of little. And so I'm compelled to love him a little. I would never say I love Jesus a little bit. But the evidence of my life and my disobedience just shows an unwillingness to trust him. And that's always evidence of having a fickle love. It 
and I live my life on my own terms. And so Luke brings the story to a close in verse 49. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this woman who forgives sin? Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus says to her, Go in peace. My question for Jesus would have been, Where is she going to go? The price of her coming to Jesus is that she can no longer go back to the way of life that sustained her well-being if she's a prostitute. The one place where she is welcome is on the street among people like her. So, so Jesus, where is she going to go? She, she doesn't have a job anymore. Where is she going to go? What she needs is a community of forgiven and forgiving sinners. What she needs is a community that realizes they have been received by God's hospitality through Christ. And they should also receive others as Christ has received them. What she needs is a church whose posture is one of gracious hospitality. What she needs is a church, and listen, that might have to take care of her financially and physically because she doesn't have a job because she gave her life to Jesus. To take care of her socially and emotionally and spiritually. Would I welcome her? Would you? I mean, really? She's a prostitute. Would we? See, here we have it. Jesus, the divine visitor to the world, comes as a guest to Simon's house, but receives little or no hospitality from the one who, as host, ought to have provided it. A person publicly known as a sinner, one living on the other margins of society, is drawn to the dinner party because of Jesus' presence. And though certainly not welcomed by the religious leader, she has sensed, correctly as it turns out, that a wider, deeper welcome awaits her. The acceptance and radical embrace of God himself. And boldly she breaks in through the hostility. She, the sinner, not Simon, the Pharisee, gives hospitality to Jesus. And it is then she receives God's hospitality as Jesus publicly and authoritatively announces that her sins have been forgiven. And for the first time in this woman's life, she can go forward in life and experience the wholeness that comes from God. And what is true for her is true for all who fall at the feet of Jesus. The question for you and I is, can we see? Will we go the way of the sinful woman or will we go the way of Simon? Today, church, do you see Jesus? Do you see him at work in your life? Do you see him in his provision over your life? You didn't, you didn't get that job. You didn't, you didn't earn your talents. So you, you, you were born on third base. 
You know, like, do, do you see him and his provision over your life? Do you see him in the love you experience from his people? Do you see him as you remember your baptism and as he pronounces you as his beloved child? Do you see him as he has forgiven your sins and has welcomed you into his kingdom, a kingdom that's never going to be in trouble? Do you see him at the table as he's prepared a seat for you? Do you see him in the bread and the wine so that you, by the power of his spirit, will be able to see him and others when you leave this table knowing that everyone has a seat at the table of the gracious host that is Jesus Christ and do you see that you can go forward in life and experience the wholeness that comes from the one who knows you best and loves you most do you see Jesus